And in our Yes Group Spotlight this week, we're back with Grassroots Open, who've shared an excellent Zoom event that they've just had with Drew Hendry talking about the Internal Market Bill. Once again, very grateful to everybody at Grassroots Open for sharing these with us so we can get them out to a wider audience. If any other Yes Groups out there have events that you'd like us to record or that you've recorded and would like to share with us, please get in touch with us on Facebook, Twitter or by email to spotlight at indylive.radio. Thank you. Thank you for joining this grassroots open discussion this evening. We are joined by Drew Henry, MP for Inverness, Nairn, Badenoch and Stratspey. He is the SNP Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy spokesperson in the House of Commons. The subject we are talking about this evening is the Internal Market Bill. Over to you, Drew. All, the floor is yours. OK, thank you very much indeed for inviting me along tonight um, and uh, for being patient while we got past the little technical glitch of uh, getting in there. Um, this is a, a really important subject and not enough people know um, the quite dramatic effects that uh, the internal market bill has on uh, every aspect of life in Scotland. Um, and uh, if it goes through in its current form at the moment, it means that from the water you drink, the food on your table, to the uh, NHS, to the health regulations that we have, things like alcohol minimum pricing, uh, to the teaching standards in our schools, uh, to the food that we farm, every aspect of life will be affected by this in a negative way in Scotland. And it's, it's quite a big subject, so I'm going to range around it for a few minutes and of course happy to take questions um, if there are any at the end of this. Um, it, first of all, it's important to say that the Internal Market Bill, which has been put forward by the Tories as uh, being necessary to in order to make sure that there's uh, smooth trading conditions across the nations of the UK is simply not required. There are already existing common frameworks that have been worked out for differences with EU standards and indeed there were uh, productive and ongoing talks between the governments around the UK about how to take these things forward and these common frameworks were very easy to put in with a few changes to essentially standing orders and uh, with uh, the agreements of the uh, different uh, governments around the UK. So it's not required, but now that they've put it in place, let's examine indeed what it is. First of all, it's a, a blatant uh, attempt, uh, determination to break international law. And I think that's been the most well covered part of it, that this tears up the withdrawal agreement, which Boris Johnson said that we should all uh, vote for that it was going to be the, uh, the the best thing and you know things were going to be really easy from here and uh, this was the thing that he put forward himself the House of Commons um, and now it's uh, it's something they just want to tear up the implications of that of course are that uh, by breaking this law uh, they're setting the precedent for breaking any law and of course affecting negatively along with the whole of the UK's international reputation, that of uh, Scotland by being dragged along with this uh, act, which has been roundly condemned, not just in Europe, but perhaps most loudly by those in the nations that, uh, that the UK government are looking to court for 
trade deals such as the US where um, Joe Biden has already said that anything that interferes with the Good Friday Agreement, the peace accord between uh, Northern Ireland and Ireland, will lead to no deal being done. So it's actually strangely self-defeating and you can see them, the Tories scrambling recently to try and backpedal uh, on what they've uh, what they've been saying in, uh, to Biden and cozy up to the Biden administration. It's not going to work. Nancy Pelosi in the uh, Senate has been, uh, the Speaker of the House of Representatives has been very uh, strident about the fact that, uh, you know, they won't endorse any trade deal with the UK that uh, is breaking international uh, law as a result of this. Uh, this action. So I'll push that to one side because that's bad enough uh, with it. But what this internal market bill does to Scotland is it exposes the Tories taking the biggest power grab since devolution uh, was put in place. Um, and it is uh, typical of the Tories, I've got to say, their, their long-standing hatred for devolution, that this is designed to just overrule uh, the Scottish Parliament, and it's designed in a number of ways uh, um, with that. I believe, and I'm sure that everybody watching this at the moment believes that Scotland's spending priorities must be set uh, by the Scottish Parliament, not by the Westminster Parliament. For a start, you can't trust any Tory or Westminster government to, uh, to make, act in the best interests of Scotland, and that's why we demanded devolution, why it was the overwhelming settled will of the Scottish public to have the Parliament return to Scotland. Uh, but more and more as this goes forward, with the Constitution Affairs Committee of the both the House of Commons and the House of Lords, with the uh, Welsh Government, with the Scottish Parliament except the Tories, excuse me, <coughs> with almost everybody who's examined this, um, saying that it's a blatant power grab, and I could go on with the the, the, the organisations, the National Farmers Union, National Farmers Union of Scotland, the STUC, the TUC, um, and Uncle Tom Cobley and all, um, have said that this is a power grab. It's, it is. There, there's no debate. This is exactly uh, what it is. And the difficulty with this is that, uh, let alone the Westminster Parliament being over to, able to overrule uh, the Scottish Parliament, this actually enables a quango, an unelected quango, uh, which will sit on uh, basically, you know, ruling on uh, trade uh, technicalities in the UK uh, to overrule the Scottish Parliament. But worse than that, it allows one single government minister to overrule anything that the Scottish Parliament might put in place. And that's my the, the, the minister that I shadow in the House of Commons, the Secretary of State for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, who can, without consultation, just decide uh, that he's going to impose uh, different rules uh, as it affects Scotland. Now, the, the, the really um, important thing to bear in mind with this bill that they're putting forward is that when they say there's a power surge, uh, coming back to Scotland. Uh, I think Mike Russell said it best when he said that if this is a power surge, it's the one that fuses all your sockets and uh, blows out your, your box uh, for it. Because basically what they can do now is just run the, run the, the over anything we've got. England by definition is a 
larger country than Scotland. And if they decide that the uh, food standards, for example, the rules governing food standards uh, have to be adjusted so that they can import chlorinated chicken, and that's a very, very real threat. That's not hyperbole, um, or indeed hormone-injected beef. And they decide that in England, this is what they want to have. It doesn't matter how it affects our farmers, how it affects our uh, health priorities. And chlorinated chicken is a pretty horrible product when you find out about the condition the animals have to be in to produce this. And the reason they have to be washed in chlorine uh, because of the fact that they've been sitting in their own muck for uh, so long uh, with so many parasites on them. Uh, so these things are a real priority. And in fact, you know, we know from Donald Trump, he said that anything was on the table. And, and that's what the Americans, regardless of the administration, will be looking for in any trade deal with the UK. They'll want to make sure that their products are able to be sold here. So if those are allowed in England, um, they can basically then use this law to say, that there shouldn't be unfair competition against those rules in Scotland, Wales, or Northern Ireland. And uh, when it comes to the NHS, uh, the possibility of it being privatised, uh, medicine supplies being privatised is now wide open because this internal market bill, through the conditions of saying um, that uh, there must be a level playing field for companies uh, to, uh, to bid for things, could easily take the NHS in Scotland, the Scottish Government to court, uh, to actually get access to services uh, that they want to provide. So all of these things are uh, in the internal market bill. It's um, unfortunately largely slipped under the radar, I think, of the mainstream media. There's been scant comment on it, but it is uh, an absolutely foul um, and uh, determined attempt to strip powers away from Scotland and shows contempt not just for the Scottish Parliament, which it does in spades, but it also shows contempt for the uh, Assembly in Wales and in Northern Ireland as well. So the final thing I would say about the Internal Market Bill uh, before questions is, like I say, I could talk about this for an hour, two hours, uh, probably even longer, but the final thing I'll say about it before we go to questions um, is this issue of the so-called UK Shared Prosperity Fund. And what that's supposed to do when it eventually appears is replace the EU structural funds. So this is that we've, we've been using for many years and indeed, you know, we benefit from 863 million pounds of them just recently. Um, now, the, this isn't largesse from the UK government. This is money we're losing because we're coming out of the EU. Um, and it, even if it was largest, they've not been able to tell us how much, uh, how it'll be used, what the rules will be around it, uh, other than, and this is the important thing to them, that any money spent on it will come along with a union jack that they'll stick on the projects that qualify uh, for it. Um, so that's the Shared Prosperity Fund. I've been asking for details, by the way, on that since 2017. And uh, they still don't, even with a little over a month to go before we exit the transition, uh, they still don't know, uh, or still won't tell us, I should say, uh, what's going to happen to that money. And then spending priorities on that and on everything else, we know from the Tories that their track record um, you know, is absolutely out there for everybody to see. 
people might not remember in the early 70s, uh, sorry, in the early 80s when uh, John Major uh, decided to rob the highlands of uh, funding in order to shore up uh, constituencies in the uh, southeast of England, which they needed for uh, the election. And of course, you will be aware um, of Boris Johnson's uh, well-known uh, view that a pound spent in Croydon is better than a pound spent in Strathclyde. And by that, of course, he means Scotland uh, with it. So I think that's quite a lot in terms of giving you an overview of the Internal Market Bill. And I'll stop there and just see if there are any uh, questions that you want to, uh, uh, to have answered on that subject. Thank you very much for that, Drew. And in listening to you, the frustration that I think, I don't know how you people, I can imagine how you people in the belly of the beast must feel listening to being trashed. But certainly, for I'm sure for all of us listening here, it, it is despondency at, at best and, a, and a, a complete denial that there is another viewpoint that must be listened to. I have got, um, yeah, go. Yeah, I was just going to say, well, the one thing, thanks for that, and it is galling when you have to be down there uh, responding to this kind of, um, you know, uh, just uh, illegal and disrespectful and insulting behaviour to uh, the people of Scotland and our parliament. But the one thing, the one positive you take from this is that when people actually find out about this, they become absolutely convinced that the only way to uh, deal with things in Scotland is to become an independent country. Absolutely right. We've had a question. Um, Ariel Kay, if you can unmute yourself and ask your question, please. Um, hi, Drew. Um, with the confluence of the Overseas Operations Bill, the Covert Human Intelligence Sources uh, Bill, and boldly announcing to the world um, that they're quite happy to flout international law, um, the Covert Human Intelligence Sources Bill, if people don't know, explicitly uh, gives permission uh, to several UK agencies, um, including, I think, the Food Standards Agency, uh, to commit uh, acts which, out with those circumstances, would be criminal um, for uh, purposes uh, such as the integrity, I think, or the benefit of the UK economy. How worried uh, should... Um, people in the independence movement be, whether we're just ordinary people handing out flyers um, and posting things online or leaders of yes groups or people who attract more attention because with the confluence of those things in the last few weeks uh, with the emphasis on James Bond, um, which is basically glorifying extrajudicial state-sponsored murder and is so glorified as mass entertainment, its postponement shut down the entire cinema industry in the UK. How worried should we be? Are we, what, what's to stop them picking off random individual Scottish independence supporters? Well, first of all, I think the, um, the issue with this is that rather than worried, we should be determined. Um, we have just a short six months away uh, the elections of the Scottish Parliament. Um, if we are working in the way we should to get uh, SNP, MSPs elected uh, in the numbers that we know that we can do and in current circumstances, uh, we should do. Um, then we will have an undeniable, uh, you know, we'll be, we will be in an undeniable position in order to 
uh, both called the referendum and to be internationally judged uh, to have done it correctly so that we can be recognised by the international community, which is so important uh, in this. Already the Tories are backtracking on the outright uh, opposition for this. Keir Starmer's backtracked on outright opposition because they know it's unsustainable with the, the growing majority of people that are for independence. So our ticket out of this, rather than being worried, our ticket out of this is to work as efficiently and as quickly as possible uh, to become an independent country. And uh, you know, the, 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 these other things are worrying, they are concerning. The internal market bill, which I've been deeply involved in, is a horrendous piece of legislation. And without independence, it would leave us in a very bad state. Um, but I think we've just got to make our own paths. So it's the best answer I can give on that. Okay, can, um, Valerie Gold, can you unmute yourself with your question, please? Hi there, good evening. Thanks for the introductory talk. That was brilliant. Um, like I'm sure like a lot of people here, I'm genuinely horrified, if not a bit scared, by the possible implications of this bill. Uh, the threat to our parliament, our health service, and also free student tuition, just to name only three things. Uh, as an ordinary citizen and a grassroots SNP member, what could I be doing to combat this? Well, there's, there's two things. Uh, one, as a grassroots member, then obviously what I've just said is we need to work really hard to make sure we get the right result in the election. Prior, the priority, I think, is to get the message out there about this internal market bill, because like I say, I think it's flying under the radar largely just now. Even many people that I'm speaking to in the SNP haven't really heard about it. Um, and I think uh, it's our duty to to try and make people know this is what they're doing to your parliament. You know, 58% of people in the last opinion poll want independence. A shed load more than that want our Scottish parliament to remain. You know, there's a lot of people there. Some, about 70% of folk think that it's a great idea that we have a Scottish parliament. So, you know, so we need to get the message out there that this threat is out there. There's plenty of material on it. If anybody wants to go to my either my Facebook page or my website, I get links to debates and things like that. But just get the word out there about the, these, the effects on this. Thank you very much. If I could just get a totally shameless plug-in, uh, like my colleague who's in the, the Zoom, Fiona McGregor, I'm a presenter on Indie Live Radio, and we will be interviewing somebody about the internal market bill tomorrow between 11 and 1 uh, on IndieLive.radio. We'll be talking to Heather Anderson, but I'm delighted to be here tonight. Sorry, I'll shut up now. Thank you so much. Uh, nothing shameless about that at all, Valerie. Great to have you here. And um, I've got uh, Sheena, Stephen. Sheena, are you up for asking your question? You've got two good, great questions there. Uh, no, hi, yes, hi. Um, can you hear me okay? You're yeah, fine, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm really, yeah, I'm, like Valerie, whom I know, um, I, I'm, I'm really concerned, you know. I, I find it absolutely amazing that people within the SNP and even in Hollywood, don't know about this bill. You know, it's just absolutely all-consuming, unbelievable. Well, it's not really, it's a Tory government, but you know, it's, it's scary. Um, what I'd, I'd written in the chat was, I'm, I'm concerned, and I don't know, another thing I don't know much about is this uh, building in Edinburgh. 
where these 3,000 civil servants, I mean, that's another thing that's been hidden from the public. I've been trying to tell people that, um, you know, what is the purpose of this building? Are these civil servants going to be come up from down south or are there going to be 3,000 people from Scotland that are going to be employed in this building? And what is their function? Is it, um, is it integrated with this internal market bill for them to legislate on this legislation rather than we've got a parliament that can do that already? And taxpayers should be aware that this is extra money that's getting spent. Their money is getting spent on this. I don't know how much the building the building was to, 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 to build, but the press, I mean, nobody knows anything about this building. Yeah. So, the, the, the good news, the good news about the Tories and all of their plans, including, uh, you know, Queen Elizabeth House and all the, you know, the, the fact of bringing up the UK government to Scotland and Boris Johnson coming on visits and uh, yes, the cabinet. fish and chips on a trawler and all this kind of thing. Uh, the good thing about the Tories is they just completely don't get Scotland. No. And all their belated attempts to show that they are uh, somehow engaged, which is a, the best thing I can, the, the best uh, kind of description I can kind of give is somehow engaged. And yeah. um, are just proving to people that they're uh, completely out of touch and it's too late. And, you know, all of these things that they're doing are tokens. They're not genuine efforts to engage with people. Otherwise, when they do come up and do these things, they would meet the press and the public when they're here. They don't. They do photo ops and uh, then buzz back down to Westminster again. What are, sorry, so, what are these 3,000 civil servants? What, what are they going to be doing? Have you any idea? Well, you, again, you know, I would, I would ask you to look at the track record of the Tories when they say they're going to do something and then have a look uh, to see what they actually plan to do or what they do do. If, mm -hmm. if you think they're going to employ 3,000 people in Edinburgh, I would have to say I think that's extremely unlikely. Um, yeah. You know, uh, the... Uh, they, they said they would build, what, 13 warships in the Clyde. They yeah. said they'd do half a dozen uh, you know, other things which are grand plans that they were going to, uh, you know, do in Scotland. They've had the, all the stuff that they were involved with over the past few years. Boris Johnson makes a new promise every other day, uh, which he then breaks every other day. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I don't think it's something to be worried about. Um, I just think... Yeah. Uh, it, it is one of these tokenistic things that, uh, that they're trying to they're trying to put. They've got the building there. They've got the space there. I think they're seriously going to use it for anything other than propaganda and to try and um, do something against the yes movement. No, um, I don't think it's there for any other productive reason than they felt they had to do something to show they were still, you know, nominally interested in Scotland. Okay, thanks. I've got uh, Pat Farrington, Pat all the way from Ireland. Would you like to put your question to Drew? And by the way, I'm liking the gender balance here this evening. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to see. Thank you, Bridge. Much appreciated. Um, I, I'm just worrying about Drew's telling us a little bit about what it's like to be in uh, Westminster. And my impression is that the Tories just keep lying. We all know they're lying. People are saying quite openly, that's a lie. 
um, but nothing seems to happen. Shouldn't the speaker be able to do something about it? Um, the, the SNP group is, is fantastic, they're doing an enormous amount of hard work, but you really not got enough teeth to beat this 80 um, majority. Um, and I just feel that uh, it's not a waste of time. It's good that you're there and it's good that um, you have got a voice. But I feel that the, the speaker is just ignoring everything that happens and allowing Boris and his little cohort of ghastly cabinet people uh, to do just what they like. Is there anything that can be done? Can we do anything? Thank you. Well, how do you stop Tories lying in Parliament is what your question is in a nutshell. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, the, um, you know, I've got to say, you know, the, the, the two speakers that I've uh, had experience of, John Berko and Lindsay Hoyle, um, I, neither of them really has the power to tell them to do a different answer or to you know, in fact, there's a whole culture about not saying that people are lying in Parliament. Mm. I had to use a clever term last month to call them pathological liars, which was uh, to, to say that they were verging on pseudologica fantastica, which is a clinical term. <laughs> so I didn't get pulled up for it. Well um, done, but, um, but basically, the, the, the fact is that, uh, you know, it, it's the stock in trade for Boris Johnson and his government. And, you know, and it, it's not uncommon for the five and odd years I've been there for two things to happen when a minister answers a question. Uh, one is for them to uh, completely avoid answering the question by saying something completely different, which is 90% of the way. And then there's 9% barefaced lies. <laughs> and then there's 1% um, when you actually get a genuine response, but it's that kind of ratio uh, from it. I'm not saying the response is always one you want, but at least it's genuine. But it's really, really a very tiny percentage of uh, those answers that you get. So I can't really say that um, you know the speaker has any particular powers to shape their answer. One of the things that we knew when we went down there is we knew we were going to be in the minority. Mm, and yeah. what we've tried to do is use our voice and you know and our ability to raise the issues uh, to persuade people. Uh, not just in Scotland, but around the UK and, uh, and beyond um, by, you know, using every opportunity we can to raise the issues that are important uh, to Scotland. And I think in amongst all the frustration, which, by the way, I share with every single activist, you know, I, I didn't get elected because I wanted a Westminster career. I got elected to do, in the classic way, to do myself out of a job in the same way that... <laughs> SNP MPs went down there in the first place in order to make sure that none of us had a job at Westminster and they all had a, you know, we, we could set up a parliament in Scotland where, you know, people could get elected to that to represent us. So, so I, I, I feel the frustration, but I do also feel that we're making progress. And I think that, I think that is reflected in the way that we're not only viewed in Scotland, uh, but we're actually viewed around the other nations of the UK. And I think it has given the strength to you know, for example, uh, people in Wales and the uh, Welsh Parliament and even the Labour Welsh government um, mm -hmm. to, to be able to come out and say things. And I think that helps overall. But is it a perfect situation down there? Absolutely. The furthest thing from it, it's a complete nutter burak. Um, and it's, uh, it's a place where, you know, getting uh, any sensible answer or the truth is an extremely difficult task. 
Thank you. Um, I really appreciate, I'm sure we all do, what you're doing there. And it, it sounds to us to be desperately frustrating. I don't know how you, you know, how you keep the temper, all of you, all the time. But um, I just feel that there should be some way, somewhere to, to get in the back and, and, and stop these lies. But we seem to have to accept the lies. We just seem to now, you know, these days, um, years ago, if somebody lied in Parliament, they got thrown out. But it just seems acceptable now. Yeah. Uh, this is a this is a really important question you've asked, and and I'll give you this this comfort because I believe I believe this is true, and I believe in Scotland we've seen this is that telling lies is a law of diminishing returns, and yeah. people will see the truth, and the truth wins out. So I think that's the important thing to take away. We need to be, we always have been and need to be squeaky clean in what we do. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, but I actually think that pressure for us to be, uh, you know, to, to be as, as, as honest as we can uh, it be, is, is actually a good thing and it reflects on, uh, on the trust in, in Scotland. Thank you. Much appreciated. That was, that was a lovely question, Pat. And actually, I, I, I can feel your passion for trying to get the truth and well done you for praising the, the, the work of all uh, of them sitting down in Westminster because they're totally disrespected and we can see that and that's never a nice thing. We have a question from Alison Fraser. Alison, if you unmic yourself, unmute yourself. <laughs> Good evening, Drew. Um, I'm particularly concerned that friends of mine who are not activists but support independence and also my wider um, range of friends know nothing about this bill. And it seems to me that the uh, mainstream media are concentrating on the illegality part of it, but they're not doing their job by showing Scotland how it's going to Im impact on all of us. What can we do about that? Or what can you do about that? Well, the, um, I've, I think I've lost count of the press releases that we've put out and the, uh, we've given dozens of speeches on this uh, in the Commons. It's been through the Scottish Parliament, the Scottish Parliament, every party except the Tories voted to, uh, to uh, withdraw consent from the bill. Um, you know, so there have been plenty of opportunities for the media to pick it up. I think you are right. There are two things. If I'm uh, trying to be scrupulously fair, if I can, and, and if I give a, a scrupulously fair answer to the first part of it, I think the illegality, because it, it affects a wider uh, community, if you like, than just Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland, um, has got the top billing, because obviously it affects the European Union, deals with other countries, and so forth. So it's a truly global aspect. Uh, to the bill. So that part of me, that really fair part of me says, well, yeah, if you're in the press, that's going to be the key line on it. But of course, they did a lot on that. And then you haven't gone back to cover the facts as it affects Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland, uh, which is a real deficit. And I think that is a deficit. And you asked what we can do. And again, all I can say is that we've got to use the power that we've got as a party with a membership, uh, with social media, with uh, whatever we can to Indie Live, all the rest of these things uh, to get that mes message out, which is why I'm really glad to be given the opportunity to speak to you here tonight. 
um, about this because I think it's important we do get that uh, out there about uh, how important this is. I mean, it, 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 it's just a naked and shocking power grab. Um, and it, it's been backed up by countless experts, uh, organisations, um, legal bodies, that this is going to happen. Even the, even the House of Commons committees and the Lords have pointed this out. You know, it's when you're, when you're getting unionist Lords uh, pointing out that the SNP are right, then, you know, that, that's quite a thing. You know, so there's a, a wealth of um, uh, sources out there, but it's just not permeated. So we've got to do our bit to get the message out. I've got, um, uh, it was a statement actually, Drew, when I was looking at it, and it was a meeting, an online meeting um, of lawyers, and it was Lord Newberger. And he has said that once you deprive people of the right to go to court to challenge the government, you're in a dictatorship or in a tyranny. Is, is that what we're in? Well, the, um, certainly what I think the, you know, the, the bill risks, um, you know, the, the, the saving um, principle for us is that we have an escape hatch um, from this, uh, which is, you know, independence. The, the, I think the time is, is coming upon us rapidly when we'll need to act on that, but I think that's going to plan at the moment. And I, I think when we get to the May elections, that will be the real trigger for frenetic action about this. Um, but yeah, you've got to say that the Cummings, Boris Johnson, it's Cummings-led, let's make no mistake about this, the Boris Johnson Tory government, even to the disquiet of quite a lot of their own MPs, even those ones elected under the strict rules that they put in place, um, want to take as much power um, and put it into the centre as they possibly can. And that's what they're aiming to do with a number of different things. And this bill is perhaps the single most shocking and blatant of them all. But as I say, we have a way out. Um, we have the ability to have a better Scotland and that's through making sure we're still talking to people about independence and we get a big election victory next year and then we move swiftly on to a vote. Well, I'm so pleased you mentioned the big election next year and the vote. Section 30, you know, yeah. I, I, we're looking at Westminster running roughshod over all of our wills with regards to this yeah. bill. And then we're talking about an independence referendum. And I think quite rightly, people must be getting frustrated. If we've got no power to do, to, to, to make Westminster listen to us, what makes us think that we're going to get a section 30? I, I, I want a big positive note here, Drew. I need my- Yeah, well, the, 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 you know, the, the, um, the thing is what they want to do is they want to knock us off by saying they want to refuse a section 30. What they want us to do is to, start to fall apart at the seams and come up with lots of other schemes. Now, it doesn't work that way. Um, you know, the popular will uh, will always win out. And if we persuaded 58% of people so far, and I think it's around about that, I don't think that's a, an outlier poll, um, and we move to persuade even more people during the coming months as they see the effects of a low deal or no deal Brexit, um, then that number will only go higher. They, they will be unable to resist the popular will in Scotland if that's the case, and they know it. What they, as I say, what they want to do is by saying 
that they withhold permission um, is deny the sovereignty of the Scottish people, which won't hold water. And they want us to run off doing all kinds of other things which will dilute and split the cause and will put off a lot of those people who are either newly won over to independence or are still swithering. And that's their tactic. So I'm not going to let them off the hook for that. Um, neither are my colleagues. We're going to pursue them absolutely down this route. It's the right of any nation's peoples to decide what they want to do. The people of Scotland have for uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years been sovereign and that's exactly what they are and we will we'll prove that they are uh, next year. And while we're on, see Pat, a sigh of relief there. So while we're on that, so the, the internal market bill, that is going to go through. How can we undo the damage of that bill? How quickly can we undo the damage of that bill? Should we get a referendum next year and get our result? Well, we, we can very quickly undo the damage of the bill because by virtue of being independent, by virtue of getting to... Uh, that stage we would be able then to uh, reimpose the standards that we want to see in Scotland. We'd be able to align ourselves with uh, EU standards. We're already fully compliant at the moment with the EU standards. So, uh, you know, providing there's not too much time between uh, both, we should be able to unravel that particular aspect of the internal market bill in terms of the harm that it does uh, very, very quickly. And uh, if I could also say that, you know, in terms of future trading relationships, social relationships, I think everybody knows that what we want to do is we want to be good friends and neighbours with England, Wales and Northern Ireland in the future, whatever they decide to do and their people decide to do in their future. And as England's second biggest trading partner um, behind America, I think they're going to be looking to have a friend north of their border uh, in the future as well. So. There's plenty that we can do by keeping on the track that we're on at the moment and making sure that we have a legitimised uh, independence referendum that, uh, that obeys the law and is recognised internationally as such. Okay, well, I think that's, that's a good news story for tonight. And we have got a question from a man. Woohoo! I'm so, <laughs> I'm so pleased that they have, they have um, found their voice. It's unusual. So let's have Gordon Shanks. I frightened him now. <laughs> Gordon, are you there? Hi, that's me. Sorry. Hi, Drew. How are you doing? Hi, Gordon. Uh, just a quick question. Um, this is such a mind-bogglingly mind important issue, I think, that could it actually warrant having a dedicated, carefully written document sent out from the Scottish Government to every household in the land, you know, clearly stating the facts, honestly, and in layman's terms, and backed by as many parties in the parliament as possible that support or against the bill, you know, just yeah. say, this is what's happening. These are the facts. Decide for yourself. Um, yeah, I, I, that's an interesting idea. And I'll certainly flesh that out with colleagues in the Scottish Parliament. I suspect um, that that wouldn't be under the power of the Scottish government to do that. And I suspect that um, Whilst there is complete agreement other than the Tories in the Scottish Parliament, the other parties in the Scottish Parliament would be uh, less likely to support something like that for, uh, because they would see it as a very, 
uh, overtly political. Um, I mm -hmm. saw flashing up on the screen a comment there that maybe the SNP could do it. I'm pretty sure that we will be. It's, it's important to put one thing into context just now. The, the bill has gone through its reading in the House of Commons and it's now in the House of Lords and the first stage of that's just been thumpingly defeated. So it has to, at the end of November, it'll have to come back to the House of Commons again and then probably back to the House of Lords. So, you know, so this is going to be rumbling on for some time yet and we've yet to see what, if anything, will be watered down within it. Uh, but ultimately, since the Tories have a big majority in the House of Commons and we know exactly what they want, I don't think we can rely on that watering down process. So I think at some point, um, you know, either we or us or, uh, you know, a collection of um, different organisations will need to get the, uh, the message out a bit more strongly about this. Thank you. Okay, do we have an, another question coming in? Well, while while we will, we are, are waiting, because I've got another piece here. When you when you were talking about um, the atmosphere in Westminster, and we're talking about the Section Thirty, is there now an acceptance that Scotland is going to be independent? And do you see a mood change even in their their total abhorrence of the, the SNP group down there? Uh, yeah, I do see a mood change. I think um, there is a, two different kind of, the Tories fall into two camps. There are those who I think have pretty much uh, decided that they want, uh, you know, England to be independent. Um, there's, a, there's a few of those. Um, but don't forget that they wanted England to be independent, just call it Britain. Uh, for uh, quite a long time. Uh, the other group, I think, are the ones who are trying to circle the wagons in a self-defeating uh, move and just get more and more hostile uh, by the day. The, the, it's really important to understand the atmosphere in Westminster is, uh, is quite weird because a lot of them just simply don't get Scotland. It, it's, they, they think the genuine, some of them genuinely think they're being altruistic, despite the facts. Um, some of them don't care, but quite a lot of them don't care about Scotland. Um, and the others know that they, they want to keep the assets of Scotland uh, with it. But and I, don't, I never get any feeling of, and anybody correct me if they're wrong, if they've been watching any of the parliamentary procedures, I never get any feeling there's any real love for Scotland. Um, down there. I've never really felt that kind of genuine affection uh, for it, other than the odd recounting of when they were on holiday there and their shooting parties and uh, things like that. But um, but yeah, that's that's basically what, how they how they they seem to act. Um, got a question from Chris Odling. Chris, can you unmic yourself? A little delay. Hi, Chris. Okay, so I'm going to go to Elaine. Why are we doing? Won't work. Will it not? You can't. I've unmuted it. Won't work. Well, we can hear you, Chris. Can you hear me? You can hear us. Yeah, it's working. Yoo hoo! 
I can I can hear you, Chris. Just just speak loudly and clearly. Gordon Ross, IndyCar, and um, he was saying he'd heard that Cummings' sister is involved with the company that does all the counting. So how do we stop Fiddly Diddly when it comes to the independence boat? Uh, well, fortunately, the uh, the things that are not in the, the internal market bill are the things that we still will control next year. So the Scottish Parliament still calls elections and referendums and has control over the voting, um, you know, uh, procedure. So, sorry, you'll need to speak up, Chris. Yeah. Will, will Scottish people count it? It won't. Yeah, yeah. The the um, it, it is it, people, not necessarily Scottish people, but people in Scottish local authorities who are employed will do the counting. You know, I was formerly leader of Highland Council, and whenever there was an election, Highland Council would get mobilised, including the referendum in 2014, uh, to do the vote counts. And that'll be exactly the same, just as it was for the, uh, the Brexit referendum. Uh, it was all done on a local authority basis. So they, they can't, as things stand, interfere with that. Sure, they would love to, but, um, but at the moment they can't. Ah, thank you very uh, much. Thank you. Okay, well, so here's the here's the, the, the term we have to remember, fiddly diddly. So if we hear that word, we know that it is people at Westminster in particular tampering with the election system. Um, I've got uh, Alistair MacDonald. Alistair, your question? Hi there, Drew. The question really was connected to an answer you gave earlier, that the bill would be going to the has been to the Lords the first time and it's getting punted back to the Commons. Uh, how long will the procedure take before finally the Queen puts her signature to the, the bill and passes it into law? Well, technically, my understanding is that it can take, um, I don't believe this will happen, but technically, I believe it can take up to nearly a year, uh, depending on how the House of Lords treat the bill as it goes through. They've got quite a lot of power to delay things. Um, so uh, it really depends on what they come out with in terms of what they send back in, as an amended bill, uh, how much the UK government want to dig their feet. And as I say, they, they, the problem with this is that they don't need the internal market bill. So, so they could actually afford to wait it out. Um, and just go ahead with common frameworks in the meantime, which is what they should be doing anyway. Um, or, they, um, or they could decide that they're going to try and somehow guillotine it um, and, uh, and, and move it through before the end of the year. Uh, at the moment, I can't give you a solid answer on the timescale uh, because it's really down to factors out with uh, my control. And, uh, and to be honest, out with... Uh, everyone's control other than the procedure at the moment. So it depends on how it moves from there. Okay. okay. Is that okay? Excellent, Alistair. Thank you. Um, we've got a question from Elaine. Elaine McKenzie, are you ready for your question? And then we'll take Joy Cameron afterwards, if that's okay. Hi there, Drew. Good to speak to you. Um, if you think the legislation will pass through by the 31st of December, do you think that the Tories will aggressively move then towards Scotland and possibly Wales um, 
to do as much damage as possible, to take over as much as possible. And the other question to that would be, do you actually see Boris Johnson being in power on the 1st of January? Or do you think that some of the major players in this will just disappear and step back because they will have done what they set out to do, made their money and just go? Yeah, I think um, on the second part first, um, uh, you know, the, uh, I don't think Boris Johnson will be there for, for long. Um, it, but long could mean six months, uh, a year, um, you know, in terms of uh, his ability to hang on. I think it's deeply unpopular with most Tories now, including most of the Tories in the House of Commons. There's, yeah, but, but he did recruit a lot of client uh, MPs uh, in the last election, and I think it would take some gumption for them to oust them before Christmas or before the new year. So, uh, but who knows? They're Tories, so they're perfectly capable of stabbing each other in the back. And it could happen, you know, uh, you know, almost any time that they could uh, choose to do that. But my my gut instinct is that it will certainly be into the new year before there's any real threat. But I don't think it'll be there in the long term. No, um, that's for sure. Will they disappear? Um, no, I think that you know that you'll just get another version of the same things. Um, and the first part of the question is: Do you think they'll come after us in terms of um, you know Scotland and Wales? It, look, the, you you have to just get to the fact that the Tories have always hated devolution. They do anything they can to uh, to get rid of it. They don't like it. They don't want it. Um, I don't think they've got the ability to do it as quickly as we might fear that they uh, would like to do it. But the internal market bill is certainly the first step, and it heightens the urgency for us to make sure that we've got the right numbers and we've got the right message and we've spoken uh, to people to embrace them into making a yes vote for independence. Do you really think that um, Boris Johnson's going to want to hang around after Brexit? Because I think there's going to be a terrible calamity down south. Yeah. Oh, you know, again, I think he hates doing the job, but then he hates doing any work. Um, you know, that's, that's just that's just the way you know the way Boris Johnson is. You know, he he wanted to be elected and become uh, some version of Churchill that he had in his mind, and that's never going to happen. Um, I, I think he finds it deeply uncomfortable not being able to take on all these other jobs and things like that. He can't wait to get out in the after-dinner circuit and start charging uh, big money for appearances. So, yeah, no, I don't think he wants to stay. But again, I think uh, I don't think there's going to be any immediate uh, change. There won't be. He won't want to be thrown out. He'd want to to somehow find a time of his own choosing, which. You know, may well be after Brexit, but um, I don't know when he's going to get the comfort to do that because come the 2nd of January on a low deal or no deal, it's going to become pretty obvious to people what a mess he's got everyone into. Okay, Elaine, are you happy with that? Uh, well, okay. um, Joy Cameron, Joy, are you with us? Yes, they, they, both myself and Campbell are here. It's actually Campbell that we'd like to ask this question, so I shall acquiesce to him just in this instance. I um, kind of felt that we had to get the meal balance here a wee bit closer. It was becoming... Um, <laughs> Sorry, could you lean in a wee bit to the microphone? I, I couldn't quite hear you there. 
I was just thinking through it. So, about time we were getting the meal balance here a wee bit more, I thought. <laughs> <Take that. laughs> it's, it's nice to be. It's nice to be in the minority as as white middle-aged <laughs> men, isn't yeah. it? Absolutely, I only jest. Um, I was wondering about procurement. It, uh, it seems, I mean, you as uh, former leader of Highland Council knows the difficulties that you have trying to get something procured quickly um, and effectively, and you have to go through hoops and with Europe and so on and so forth. Um, it seems that Westminster can circumnavigate this, or at least the, the Tory right. government. And I'm, I'm thinking about the, uh, the ferries. Um, Yep. awarded, for example, to, to a company with no record and no ownership of any ferries. Uh, how are they getting away with that? Uh, well, the, the, the fact of the matter is because people in England keep voting for them. Um, and, and I'm afraid if you look at the recent polls, uh, you know, they don't seem to be dented in England at all uh, mm. by the stuff that they're up to. I mean, the, the scandals are uh, as long as your arm and they're legendary. Um, Robert Jenrick, still a, a government minister, despite having been caught red-handed uh, helping his pals out uh, with avoiding millions and billions of pounds in tax and, and also, you know, um, acting in the most outrageous way with uh, pork barrel uh, politics in terms of giving funding to, uh, to constituencies that are uh, were English Tory marginals. You know, and again, we're talking about many, many millions of pounds in each of these constituencies. So, you know, and, and then you've got the Chris Grayling scandals, all the scandals over, uh, you know, what we've seen with the, the PPE requirements that uh, during the COVID crisis have just been given to companies that are known associates of government ministers. Um, you know, so, so all that goes on, but it just seems to be washing over uh, folk, um, and not all of them by, by any means, but, but a lot of people in England, and that's why they're able to get away with it. Um, you know, it, it's, it's not sustainable. <laughs> that's the only good thing I can say. Eventually, you know, folk will waken up and do something about it. But I think there's still such a Tory voting focus on Brexit and the, what they believe is going to be the land of milk and honey, which they're going to get a sharp uh, realisation about. Um, very soon that's just keeping them kind of going so yeah. no, that's the reason they're kind of getting away with all that uh, you know scandalous uh, misuse of public money at the moment <clears throat> and effectively there's nobody overseeing that at, at government level you know I mean when I think of working with Highlands and Islands Enterprise and yeah. working through Argyll and Butte Council there was always a certain paranoia among officials about um, you know Europe doing an audit, or the uh, you know audit Scotland doing an audit, or you know so and so forth. On it goes. Uh, nobody looking at government. Well, they, they, you know there are things like public accounts committee and you know other uh, bodies. You know the, the UK government has been taken to court, particularly over issues like immigration issues, and forced to uh, change their views on things. But to be honest, you could be taking this government to court every day. Yeah. Um, you know, with the way they behave, and I think the the problem is that um, I think the rules are written so uh, with so much leeway uh, for the government, UK government, that you know they can give fifty million pound ferry contracts to companies with no ferries and uh, and see no consequence from that. You know, other mm. than a bit of ridicule. Yeah, quite remarkable. <laughs> Thank you.
Thank you, Campbell. And we've got Valerie Marshall and then it'll be Fiona Ferris. Valerie, are you there? Yes, hello. Hello. Um, thank you, Drew, for your time this evening. It's been really interesting. My question is, if the bill passes, does it give Westminster power to reverse our decisions about fracking in Scotland? Yeah, there's, um, there's every possibility that the bill goes through that something could be challenged by private companies. Um, you know, if they are, for example, if the UK government decides that wants to allow fracking in England, um, then because the principles of the internal market are that they shouldn't be disadvantaged through competition, then there's every chance that they could take the Scottish government or local authorities to court. Um, and uh, and they, given the way the law is written, um, you've got to say that they would have a, a decent chance of winning that battle. Thank you. It's that um, scary. It is. <laughs> this bill is, very scary. It I think covers bill every aspect of our, uh, you know, our daily lives. It's, uh, you know, it's very, very wide ranging in terms of things that we would like to introduce our own regulations and rules for in Scotland. There's been a lot of talk about the chlorinated chicken and the beef and all the other things. I think I wish that people could be made more aware of that fact as well, because I think that's a very scary prospect. Well, the, it, it, within the bill, there's also the issue of being able to set uh, building standards as a, a, a UK, uh, basically, an, a, you're a priority that have to take uh, precedence across the UK, which means that they could overrule uh, building standards conditions in Scotland as well. So, you know, it, it really, you know, there's so much, when you get into the depth of the internal market bill, there's so much effect. Somebody mentioned tuition fees. Uh, earlier again, you could be taken to court for that um, to say that it's an unfair situation. So, you know, so the, you know, the just it's just multi-layered. Yeah. Thank you. Nice one, a nice one, Valerie. Yes, they got fracking. You know, you, you just don't think of how wide-ranging this is. Wow. Yeah. Um, Fiona, are you there? Can you unmute yourself, please? Hey. Yes. Good evening. Um, that's just set me up nicely for my question, actually, because I have to really query, are we sovereign at all when a bill like this affects every single aspect of our lives can be passed without the, um, it going through and being asked, asked of in the Scottish Parliament to approve it. In fact, um, the more I hear about how sovereign we are, the less evidence I see to back that up. In fact, everything I see happen improves exactly how unsovereign we are, whether it's from this bill, whether it's asking for a section 30, um, or, or anything, a Brexit, anything. We, ha we actually have no say. And soon, I think, not only will we, and I feel we'll just keep saying, if we say it enough that we're sovereign, that somehow that's enough, but the evidence is very much the other way, as far as I can see. Well, the, the, the reason I'll say that you and all of us here in Scotland are sovereign is because that is an immutable fact. It's been, uh, it's never been disputed. Even in the UK Parliament, we took a motion through a couple of years ago uh, on Scottish sovereignty. The difference is, and this is why it's crucial, the, we can choose to give away that sovereignty. We can continue down the line that we're going down with, uh, you know, with the Tories and what they're doing and uh, allow them to do this bill and other bills like that, or we can choose to exercise our sovereignty 
and you know have a referendum on independence and declare uh, Scotland an independent country as a result of that. So we still have a choice. We still have the ability to do that. We are at crunch time. I mean, you know, in my view, this is a crossroads. Um, but I don't think that comes as a big surprise. I think everybody, uh, you know, whether you support independence or not, whether you're in the SNP or in any party, knows that even without the internal market bill, we were coming to a crossroads. What this does is it puts the lines on the crossroads and says exactly what is going to happen if we don't make those choices about our sovereignty, if we but don't choose only, to exercise it. But we only can make that choice if we let, if we're allowed to make the choice. And that's really the issue at hand here, as far yeah, as I can see, because we're still, we, 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 if we are sovereign, we shouldn't need a Section 30. I think it was a mistake to have gone down that path. We've painted ourselves into a corner that we can't get out of. Um, we can't exercise our sovereignty now without having permission from another country. Well, as I said earlier, the, the thing they most want to do in order to stymie the move to independence, the right of the Scottish people to choose their future, is to get us to go off on all kinds of different tangents just now. The rights of the Scottish people to determine their own future and to choose should they wish to do so, to be an independent country are firmly with the Scottish people. They have no rights to resist that. And if next May we vote in sufficient numbers to make sure that there's you know, a majority of MSPs in the Scottish Parliament who are demanding a referendum, and we put forward that referendum, they have no right to refuse that. They would love us to go down different routes and say, oh, we'll take court action here, or we'll do UDI or whatever, because they know that that would split the movement. They want us to be thinking like that. What we've got to do is actually make sure that we're absolutely resolute, that we fully understand international law, that we understand that to become an independent country, you have to be recognized as an independent country. And that's absolutely vital. So what I say is we've got to steal our nerves here. We've got to make sure that we've got the, uh, the absolute focus and determination to not be denied our rights as a sovereign nation, as a sovereign people, uh, because that's what we are. So I can see, I totally get why people are worried. And in my uh, moments when I'm looking around frustrated with what they're doing in the UK Parliament, there are times when I think it's pretty dark as well. But I've got to say, the, the fire that always keeps me going is the fact that we just cannot be denied. And we will have our democratic choice. And we will, in my view, choose to make that democratic choice to become an independent nation and take our own place uh, in the world, as opposed to being saddled to this uh, busted flush, Tory-driven, uh, you know, small UK, small-minded UK that they've turned into. Okay, I, we've, is that okay? We've got uh, Leah Gunn-Barrett, who's been waiting patiently. Leah, you've got a question? Yeah, just to follow up on the Section 30, then I'll follow my question. I just think that if we go for a Section 30, you're putting all the cards in Boris's hand. He can call uh, the timing, determine the question, and set the, uh, the, the entire ballgame. And so we are going as supplicants. So I think that is a... It might be the public strategy, but I think the government, the SNP, needs to have definitely another route in, 
when and if that fails. But my, my question really was, I'm a new SNP member um, in Edinburgh, and I've been trying to find out information on the progress that the SNP's made on developing an independent Scottish currency, which was voted at the spring 2019 conference. And I can't find anything, and I don't think there's been any work done. Uh, and I'm just generally concerned that there's no preparation. We talk about getting a referendum, and yet there, the groundwork needs to be laid. And I think that the SNP has been remiss, unless I'm missing something, uh, in not actually communicating what their policy is on a central bank, on independent currency, what is going to happen to pensions. These were questions that tripped up um, the, the yes campaign in 2014 because we didn't have answers for them. And you can already see the mainstream press, the Tory press, the unionist press going after us on that. And so we need to have, I think, clear and confident answers. And I'm just wondering where the, end of, where the leadership is, is from the SNP. Um, the yes movement can certainly come up with answers, but unless it's, it has some authority behind it, it's really not going to be taken seriously. Okay, well, thank you, Leah. The, the first thing I would do is I would agree with what you said in the first part when you were talking about the Section 30, because it is important that it should it feel that you have, you said when and if it fails, that you should have another tactic for then. But Boris Johnson doesn't hold all the cards. The UK government don't hold all the cards. The world is watching Scotland. And if Scotland votes for something, if Scotland votes to have our uh, view heard um, about independence, there will be international recognition of that. You know, it would be impossible not to see that there'd been a democratic process that we've gone through, a referendum that we've held. I think the other part of your question was about the preparedness for the answering the questions about independence. And there's two points I'd make about that. First, the Scottish Government has been doing work. There's already a bill for a referendum in the Scottish Parliament, which is going through in order to prepare the groundwork for that. But let's be absolutely honest here. What the Tories, the people who would see Scotland being saddled to a Tory government for God knows how long, would love us to do is to turn the debate away from our right to choose into what currency are you going to use. So it's self-defeating for us to be talking about issues that will take the distraction, that will be providing a distraction for the fact that we have a right to choose first before we get into a referendum campaign. Now, there, there are lots of answers to these questions. There's some very good and very straightforward answers. The currency one's already been answered in the, um, the SNP's conference. We passed the motion saying that as soon as possible we'd move to have our own currency. No nation, for it, just for example here, no nation the night that votes for independence has a new currency in the next day, and neither would we. But what we have said is, as soon as possible, we'll have our own currency. So the answer is there. But what they would really like to do is take it away from fighting the battle on the rights of the Scottish people to fighting the battle on the minutiae of what you would do if you got that right. Yeah, I, 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 think, I take what you say, uh, that's fine. But we're still going to be asked very specific questions and people need to make a decision um, based on their own interests. And yeah. it's not a new thing to have a currency. There are 60 countries that have become independent in the last exactly. few decades. Um, and, and so we should be able to answer questions like, what's going to happen to your pension? We should have those answers up and ready to give to people. Well, we do. 
confident. Well, where are they? I haven't well, seen those, them. Those answers are freely available. They, we, we've always said that we protect pensions, for example, that we would look to try and match some of the pensions in Europe. UK has got, the UK as it stands, has got the worst pensions in yeah. Europe. Um, you know, so the answer is pretty simple with the pensions one. You can't trust the Tories to look after your pensions. You never have been able to. You can't trust Westminster and successive governments uh, there. What you can do is you can look to other independent countries around Europe and see how they've protected and enhanced pensions. And Scotland would do exactly the same. Your pension is safe um, under law, not under a UK government or a Scottish government. Your pension, as it's been accrued up until now, is protected. These things are going to financial funds in order to, uh, to pay for them going forward. So there is, they can't take your pension away. All we can do as an independent nation is make your pension better. Just, all right, that, that's great. I'm, I'm happy for you to say that, but I'm also confused why the Holyrood government is spending time on the GRA bill and the hate crimes bill when there are more pressing issues to address. I'm well, confused by that. I, I'm not going to get, this, yeah. this is about the internal market bill tonight, so I'm not going to go down a rabbit hole with other types of things, I, but what I, I would say, Leah, Yeah, but it impinges on the, the march towards listen, independence. Listen, you know, it, we, would, we would be pilloried as a government in Scotland if we weren't doing the day job. In fact, that's what they tried to say last time. You're not doing the day job, you're focused on independence. And all of these things, and by the way, the you know, likes of the hate crime legislation and so forth, you know, if people are going to be spreading hate, then you know, they, they shouldn't be. We should be bringing forward in a progressive country like Scotland, we should be bringing forward legislation to stop people uh, you know, using that kind of uh, tactics for, for people. Now, but not getting into the ins and outs of all of those different things. Domestic legislation in Scotland is really important. The Internal Market Bill wants to take away our ability to set internal domestic legislation. So I think it's entirely right that whether you agree with the hate crimes bills, the GRA, um, you know, the better roads, um, you know, provision for uh, free school meals over the Christmas period, I think it's entirely right that the process uh, the Scottish Government and the Scottish Parliament continues with the day job while we're talking to people about the prospects for independence. Okay, we've got a question, if that's okay, Leah. Thank you. Um, we've got a question from David, and his question is, what's stopping Westminster from cancelling the May elections and replacing with a postal vote, and who would you trust that system with? Who would trust that system? Okay, well, at the moment, there is everything stopping the UK Government from taking such action because that the, the powers to hold the elections that may lie with the Scottish Parliament. And uh, so they don't have the ability to do that. Look, you know, I'm not going to say that, you know, there's no possibility they could try and rush in a bill to do it, but it would be a pretty bold-faced, even worse than the internal market bill by about the factor of a million uh, to try and do that before the elections. And I think it would mean that, um, if not in the short term, because they put off those elections, but you would see support for independence in the high 90s if they were going to try and do that just to stymie the right of the Scottish people to, uh, to vote. So I don't see that as a credible threat in the short term. But hey, they're Tories. You know, you try, can't trust those guys. Okay, I'm, and I'm going to give a plug now to Sandra Reynolds. Sandra, do you want to tell us about the Constitution for Scotland? Quick plug. 
I'm no expert, so I really can't tell you about it, but I was on a Zoom two nights ago um, to kind of launch the website um, um, to build a constitution and it's interactive website. So people can go on, give their opinions, look at it, read it, add things to it, or just simply like things. Um, so it covers a lot of the issues that have been mentioned tonight, like apart from what, why we're here for. So there's a lot of people on here, so it'd be a useful thing to share with your own groups um, and have some say. You know, I heard somebody talking about pensions, about the currency. There's a currency group setting up. Uh, options as well um, and on the interactive constitution it talks about a bank a central bank as well which is well in the way I think understand that a Scottish um, central bank so it might be a useful um, place for you to get some answers and share your opinions okay Thanks. thank you very much for that thank you Sandra well I, I had promised um, Drew that I would try to get him out after one hour he's now been here an hour and 20 minutes and I think you will agree that he has given generously of his time and and with the answers so a big thank you to drew well thank you very much for inviting me tonight it's been a real pleasure to see the members of argyle and, be and beyond <laughs> if, uh, for those who are watching him um and uh, i'd love to do it again sometime. thank you very much and then life got on radio. Radio.